This episode is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Enjoy! It is the Chicagoverse podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists and industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black. Welcome to Chicago. Are you or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Right. <laughs> we're, not, we're not that far off from those conversations happening. <laughs> it's giving me a little, yeah. Yeah. Um, Trauma there. Right on, Dynasty Podcast, Hyman Black, live from Virgin Hotels, and I'm here with David Drake. How are you doing, man? <laughs> uh, I'm doing good. How are you? Good, man. Thank you for coming up. Absolutely. I've been seeing your work for a long time online, uh, and it's like it feels overdue to finally have you on the podcast, so thank you for coming up. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. I, mean, I spent three years in New York, so I was out of town for a while, but... Uh, but you were from Chicago. Yeah. I yeah. was born here. I grew up uh, in here and in Evanston is where I went to high school and junior high. Okay. Um, where in Evanston? Which school? Uh, well, so I sort of, we moved around, uh, but first I was at like Orrington, Haven, Nichols, then Evanston Township for high school. Okay. I did um, a year at Royce Moore. Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah. Um, they I did, did not a summer camp back. at Royce Moore. <laughs> I did an eighth grade at Royce Moore, and I was, um, I love this story. I did eighth grade at Royce Moore, and since it was a K through 12, uh, everybody kind of knew each other, especially like the higher grades. So we were just one under high school. And either he was a ninth grader or a 10th grader, Mike Kolar from Closed Sessions was there. (laughs) And Mike Kolar in high school was exactly what you think Mike Kolar in high school would be like. I imagine him being exactly the same as he is now. He is exactly the same, except for now he has a studio. Right. So shout out Mike Kolar. But right on, man. So, So Many Shrimp is kind of the alias and project that you operate under, but let's kind of get some background. Like, how did you get started with music writing? How did all this kind of start to come together for you? So I guess um, that's a really long but not that interesting story in the the micro. (laughs) Uh, I guess basically I was in college in the early 2000s, and, um, like, blogs were this new thing that was happening. Mm -hmm. And my especially my junior and senior year of... Um, college I was living in this house That we were supposed to be doing like environmental projects And stuff like that You know, organic farming, that kind of thing Right. And instead we were throwing lots of parties And I would usually <laughs> do the music for those And one of the cool things that the internet Provided at that time Because it was like pre-social media era right. Was that um, you could get up on music super early if you knew who to follow and if you knew who what sites to the go right, to. The right, like, message boards, the right... Message boards, yeah. blogs, uh, music critics. Like, there were people... Most critics, I think, don't really pay attention to what's happening sort of at ground level in most music scenes. Right. Or they do to such an extent that they don't really see the bigger picture. And what I found eventually was this, like... Especially in hip-hop, which is mainly what I was interested in. Um, although not exclusively uh stuff that the difference between something being like a really small uh scale underground phenomenon and it being like super huge right was like i just snapped my fingers this is not television (laughs) uh it was like an instant uh i I remember like there was so you'd go online and you'd find at a certain point i've got to where i there was a blog in atlanta for example there was a guy that would put people up on Atlanta rap music right. way before it ever hit radio. Or there was a guy in uh, Baltimore. There was a guy in D.C. There's a guy in the Bay. Um, and this, like, this seems obvious now, 
But at the time, this was like to me, ama- incredible. Like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there was no way. There, there was this one magazine called Murder Dog, which is like a legendary hip hop magazine. It's all interviews with rap artists, and that would catch some of the regional, quote unquote, regional rap right. going around across the country. But for the most part, if you wanted to hear like local scenes, like only A and R men were out in these scenes trying to find these artists. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, I remember that era. Yeah. Like, I was working on a local music show at Q101 at that time, and we were the specialty program on Sunday nights, like only doing Chicago artists, and, and it was that thing. I was going to, like, you know, Metro. I was going to Shubas, all those kind of things, and looking for that stuff. But you're right. Like, I would come back, and I would tell people, like, oh, man, I heard blah, 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 and, like, just blank stares. Nobody had ever heard of that <laughs> right. stuff. And then there was no way to, like... So what was cool about these blogs, basically, I guess, was that you, you could get up on stuff super early. And so I was playing music at parties before it even hit radio. Right. And that, that was, like, a completely novel <laughs> idea at the time. Like, sure. Radio was literally how we found it, or MTV, BET. Like, that was how we found out about music. The idea that you could go online and, like, beat all of those major outlets to it and be, like, that far ahead of the curve was crazy right. to me. And it was, like... I don't know. It was it was really exciting. <laughs> and that was like how I started writing about music was basically I almost backed into it because I wasn't intentionally like, I'm going to be a music writer. I was never the kid that was, uh, what's that movie? Almost Famous. Almost Famous. Right. Never saw myself as that guy. Like I was never like, I'm going to go tour with bands. And like I was, I ended up doing it. When I would read music criticism in the 90s, it never really connected with me. But eventually through these online sites, and in personal blogs and stuff like that, I would find writers who it felt like they were explaining how music worked in a way that resonated. And that was... So at first I was just using them to put me onto new shit, and then I started using it to... Uh, where was I going with this? Sorry, I lost track. No, it's okay. You were, you were like, you know, kind of how did you get oh, to the then music I started, writing? Then I started, like, being drawn to how they would... <clears throat> How did they convince me to check something out? Right. Like, there was stuff that I would listen to and not like it, and then a couple months later, I'd be like, whoa, I was totally wrong. That was amazing. And so you sort of work your way into different writers who are able to convey the, what it is about the music that makes you feel a certain way. And, and once you trust them, you're willing to spend time reading them, and I wanted to be like that. I wanted to write stuff where people at first didn't get it, when they listened to it, but I could articulate, if I worked hard enough at it, I would be able to explain to them why they should give it more of a chance and spend more time on it. So that's the short version. Yeah. <laughs> what were some of the first outlets that you were able to land on? I, so... Because now, like, we should give some... Con- if, yeah. if anyone doesn't know, you've done Pitchfork, Complex, um, Chicago Tribune... Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone. Um, a lot of the big Fader, ones. Fader. Yeah. yeah. But... It, and maybe I'm wrong. You probably didn't start at those. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and now I feel like, uh, and there's, there's a trade-off, but now it's easier to get into a lot of publications, which is in some ways good. The trade-off is that they pay much less. Right. Uh, but at the time, it, it took me a long time. So the first thing I did, I emailed Greg Cott at the Tribune in 2005. Wow. Right after graduating college. And he gave me a chance, and I wrote these little capsule reviews of, like, 3-6 Mafia and Juvenile in the back of, like, the very last page of the arts section. Of the tempo? Which, yeah, used to be a much bigger section. Yeah. But there would be these little capsule blurbs, and there's, there's some of, like, some fairly obscure stuff that I found through the internet. Like, Deep was this Houston rapper who was Punjabi, and uh, 
I had found his stuff through a friend who used to visit Texas and look for rap music there, who I had met through the internet who lived in San Francisco. It was, it was like this, and, and I was covering him in the Chicago Tribune. He didn't have, like, you know, a television <laughs> budget. He wasn't on radio. Right. Um, anyway, so that was how I started, but then I got a job, and for most of the 2005, 2010, I was pretty much always working a day job while I was writing, and I slowly got more publications under my belt, like in a way that would seem really alien, I think, to kids now that are trying to be music writers. That like it was the Tribune was oh five, and that was just little mm-hmm. blurbs, which is still a huge look. It, it was like I mean, Greg Cott, uh, you know, shout out to him. Yeah, right. shout out Greg Cott. I mean, that's <laughs> a name that means something in Chicago, like especially if you're somebody like our age who or I, I I think we're close to the same age, but like. If you're somebody who grew up in the 90s interested in music, like, there was Cot and there was Dero, and you read their reviews, and, like, that yeah, was I always it. listened to Sound Opinions. That was Sound like, Opinions? Yeah. Like, Q101, Sound Opinions, you know, the Tribune, the, the Sun-Times, those were, like, the, the fake shore, et cetera, right. of, of that time. For sure. So. And, I mean, this is when, like, Wilco was huge, and oh my God. was, like, the yeah. world's number one Wilco, like, authority. Yeah. Um, Wilco was, like, the... In critical terms, not popular terms, the Beyonce of their day. They absolutely <laughs> were, man. That like, that Cinderella story of uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, just like, that was the game changer a la coloring book yeah. of that time. Yeah. Um, wow, it's taking me back. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so I had like a day job at a nonprofit for a little while, and, and then I, uh, God, I'm trying to remember how I, so at some point, I had followed uh, writer Oliver Wang, um, was a, used to be a hip-hop writer, now is an academic, but he had put me in touch with someone at NPR, and I wrote some little online reviews for them. And I recognized from some other blog a photo of John Carmonica. Uh, I recognized him at like Pitchfork Weekend, maybe 07. Mm-hmm. Um, he was at the Chromeo show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, that is 2007. Uh, yeah. To date this. Uh, Car- uh, John Carm, I recognized him from a photo on a blog, and I introduced myself, and he'd read, like, you know, random... He, he was always, like, keeping up with what was going on in, in the sort of online discourse. Right. And uh, he uh, gave me a shot, so I did, like... He was at Vibe at that time, and um, I went to the Allstate Arena and interviewed Gorilla Zoe. Uh, I guess he's probably considered a one-hit wonder now, but like, it was he had a really big record in I think '07, um, and so it like built up with little things like that. You were you were climbing the ladder, you were paying your dues. You were like, I think, you know, then versus now, I think people kind of expect to kind of get from point A to like the top of the mountain right away. Right. And you were you were really climbing at like mini review by mini review by yeah. And, and I and I wasn't uh not to sound like I was it's like <laughs> I was doing, you know, one piece a month maybe at a certain like that's like a when I was really getting into it. It, it was I had a full-time job and I also like was still DJ. Like I was trying to DJ. Mm-hmm. I think we all were college. in the 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> it was an era for that. Um, I used to DJ it uh, about once a month at this at this place, Danny's in Bucktown, mm-hmm. that um, was great, and some other places. And we started throwing loft parties, and there was like different stuff that I did this whole period. 
where I was like figuring out what I wanted to do, I guess. So now in the present day, you have this very impressive writing portfolio, not to mention your own endeavors, which we're going to talk about. Um, but let's talk about the, you know, kind of the freelance side for a minute. Like I said, you've, you've contributed to Rolling Stone, the Tribune, to Complex, Fader, etc. Um, what are some takeaways you've learned from like being involved with kind of outlets of that caliber? Because that's an art just to be like in that conversation. Uh, I've learned that there are no, there are no rules and uh, everything changes quickly. And, Very quickly. Uh, the only thing that's kind of a constant is like a good editor is worth more than anything. Yes. And I'd rather have like a good editor at a um, weak publication than a, a bad editor at a publication with an important bi- like right. m- masshead. Uh, right. That's that's pretty much the only like golden rule I guess um, you know my, my experience was very weird because I, I was coming up also at a time like there's this thing about pit, Pitchfork was really big it was like right. reaching its apex as sure. a force around 2009 2010 the festival was a few years old then yeah indie and, and it was quote unquote indie was becoming very fashionable there was the animal collective moment then there was like the Kanye giving Kanye the 10 point hour whatever mm-hmm. and I was interested in writing for hip hop publications but um, I remember I wanted to write criticism and they didn't they gave that to the interns at the at the office it was like this is the throwaway work. We, we get the, the real journalists, quote unquote, do profiles. Right. And that seemed backwards to me at the time because there's so much music now that the internet was like enabling you to hear. You needed filters and they were only filtering like the biggest. Right. The stuff that didn't need. Yeah. yeah. And, and otherwise everything was tossed for three star reviews from some, you know, 18 year old kid that like. <laughs> it's just happy to be there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so I remember I was actually on the phone with uh, Dave Bree, great. Uh, it was at uh, Vibe in the 90s. Um, great editor. It was my editor later at Complex. But I remember being on the phone with him when he was at XXL in like 08 and being like, I'd like to like write reviews. And he was like, well, if you have like a pitch or profile for us, that's more what we're looking for these days. And right at that same time, I had emailed Scott Plaganoff. It's now at Apple Music and was Pitchfork's editor, managing editor, editor-in-chief that time. And was like, Pitchfork, I think you guys are covering rap music badly. <laughs> and I'd like to uh, improve it. And I like bothered him for a while. And then he let me do it. And it was like, that was the moment I became, quote unquote, hipster media instead of uh, doing a hip hop magazine. Right. So anyway, that was a long way of saying I think that you have to be super flexible as a freelancer to where you have to pay attention to what it is that you actually want to do and wh- where your heart is in, in the uh, craft of it and figure out what, it, what space it is that will allow you to do that, even if it goes against like your idea of what your brand should be. Right. Or your, your, uh, well, you need to evolve it. Yeah, that, that you, well, also that you define the publication more than the publication defines you. Right. And that, like, I thought Pitchfork was not covering rap well. I was never a huge, like, indie rock guy personally, but I felt like they were giving me a space to write about it the way I wanted to write about it. And so to me, it made way more sense to go there because I felt like criticism was respected in a way that it wasn't at, at other magazines. And that was what I was interested in at the time. Well, and, you know, when I was doing the research, like I said, I mean, I've known who you are for a long time, of course, because 
Chicago, I always say Chicago's so small. Chicago Twitter is even smaller, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. so of course, I knew of you and knew of your work, but I was, like, doing the, the research today before I talked to you, and I went on your Pitchfork page, and it was just, like, so many reviews. And then a right. couple features, but, like, largely reviews of single tracks and albums. So, yeah, I mean, it looks like that really worked out for you. I, I think that uh, criticism has gotten kind of a bad rap as a... As a it's, it's role in... in how music is covered um, because it's seen as people just sharing opinions. But to me, it's much more than that. It's like communicating with an audience about um, what you, you have to be sensitive to what the audience is, is listening for in music. And there are lots of bad critics who are just like shooting opinions. But to me, a great critic is someone who is able to help you better understand the music and also is, is doing it through this honest perspective that allows you to understand why the music is reacting the way it is. It's, it's more than just a report. Like, reporting doesn't capture what makes music interesting. Right. Like, it just doesn't. There's, there's no... You can talk about how big the crowd is. You can talk about how, uh, you know... I how tortured a, Drake is. Right, right. I remember a friend telling me he was supposed to do, like, a Soldier Boy profile. And I remember him being like, I hate writing these things because it's like... Yeah, I'm going to release a classic, Soldier Boy said, looking to the sky. Like, that's what those profile <laughs> writing... How does that help me understand why I should like Soldier Boy? It doesn't. Like, right. criticism is the art of explaining how the music connects to people. So if you're any good at it at all, you should be able to communicate with a readership, an emotion... Like you're, and you're, connect that. You're, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that it does get a bad rap for some good reasons because a lot of critics are just like this is bad because of this. And, and they're not trying to connect with the audience. They're trying to dictate to them. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a lost art on some level for a lot of people right now. You know, I think a lot of people don't view criticism, like music criticism as an art form right. as much as, as you clearly do, you know, um, to maybe the, the medium's detriment. <laughs> no, I, I totally think it's to the, I, I think that, uh, there's no such thing as like a journalism without criticism. It's I in in many and this is outside of music. I believe in foregrounding the subjective experience of something um, over acting as if you have an objective perch right. on which to explain yourself. So to me, criticism is basically that. That's that's foregrounding your subjective experience in a way that it might relate to someone else's subjective experience. So, all right, so we're, we're like, going deep into the, like, <laughs> yes. nerd rabbit hole of music criticism. But let's, let's talk about the site and let's talk about the podcast. Um, sure. So many shrimp, right? Not so much. So many. So many. You got it. What I'm realizing right now is that, like, you can see things on Twitter all day, and then the second you have to say it out loud, you're like, let me make sure I got that right. <laughs> um, so, so, so many shrimp. It's the site. It's the podcast right now. How did that – the name – I never ask, like, where does this name come from? But that's a distinctive name. That's, that name is actually a classic uh, quote from a song called Sippin' on Syrup by 3-6 Mafia. Sure. And Pimp C. By has, the Poet Laureates. <laughs> Pimp C has the lyric on there where he says, we eat so many shrimp, we get iodine poisoning. <laughs> and I just remember that was, like, a line that stuck in my head. And this was, like, 2004 or something like that. And... Uh, there was a blog I read at the time called Gel and Weave, which was like a Project Pat lyric. And it just seemed to fit in with that, like, vibe that the hip-hop blogs had at the time. And also, uh, so I, 
I started the blog with my friend Serge, who's Serge Ornelas, who's a writer from uh, San Francisco. Mm. And the two of us, and then assorted other people throughout the years, would just post to it ir- extremely irregularly. We were not the most regular, consistent. Not stereogums. No. Yeah. <laughs> and it never made any money at all. <laughs> um, but that was like the origin of it was it was just a super early bl- like hip hop blog pre fake short drive. Um, there were, you know, under 10 hip hop blogs at the sure. time when we started it. Like there were, ver- we were all in conversation. Like everybody that was, a lot of those people ended up writing in public, Jeff Weiss, Andrew Nas, uh, Byron Crawford. Um, th- there were a lot of people that, we, we all ended up reading each other, and it was a very small world at that, at that time of some very oftentimes weird and obsessive people, including myself in that. But. So now, in the present day, you have the site, um, and, and one of the active projects on it is your podcast, right. uh, which has about four episodes in right now. Uh, you guys have had, like, Mano, who, of course, is a Chicago legend. That guy's got stories. Yeah. You've had Saba, DJ Oreo. So I want to talk about the present day in a sure. second, but this is not the first time you forayed into podcasts because as <laughs> anybody who, again, is from Chicago Music Twitter knows, uh, there was Disrespectful Radio a few right. years back with you, Ernest Wilkins, when he was at Red Eye, and Andrew Barber, of course, from Fakeshore. So I, I guess my first question with this is, because that project like, you know, had, its, had its end date, what is it about podcasting that kind of brought you back or made you want to get active in that space again? Well, I really enjoyed doing it. The only reason that I left it in the first place was because I'd gotten a job at Complex and I moved to New York. It's a good reason. Um, and I, sometimes I regret it. Like, I feel like if we had stuck with it, you know, who knows, maybe we'd have like a Beats show or something now. And, right. And Apple, like, who, it's hard to say where it could have gone, especially like starting it in 20, early 2012 was a really s- brilliant <laughs> idea on our part. And uh, I think that... Uh, I like radio. Like, that's how I grew up listening to music. I didn't have a lot of money as a kid. We weren't from, like, we were not a wealthy family. And a lot of my stuff was taped off the radio. That's Dude, how I got put on to I was music. just about to say, how many of those those ugly gray blank yeah. cassette tapes did you have? The, the like, Maxell or the... Yeah, that was yeah. the only way to get new music. And and I would have, like, half of the song. Right. It'd be, like, half of Functified by the Brat. And I'd always <laughs> be trying to get the beginning, and I could never get it. And then it's some DJ talking over the end of it. and right. Oh, man. Anybody who's, like, 18 listening to this is going to be like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? <laughs> this, was, this was how you had to... So I always liked the dynamic of radio where you're put onto music and people tell you what's, what's hot. And you can decide you don't like it. Like, I found this old tape I made in, like, 94 when I was 10 or 11 years old. And it was... Uh, I was recording off the radio. And anytime it was, like, West Coast G-Funk sounding record, the Brat, Domino, stuff like that, I would record it. And anytime it was... Like Gangstar or De La Soul, I turned it off. <laughs> I love those art. Those are like classic legends of hip hop. Right. But for whatever reason, at ten years old, my ear was like, no, no. If it doesn't have that that synthesizer, I'm not. When you're ten years old, you want Kraft mac and cheese, not like and, and baked I, mac and cheese with like broccoli and. It's almost. I, I would actually. I think that uh, G Funk is better than Kraft mac and cheese. But <laughs> I, I yeah, I, I was stuck in a particular style that was really, I was really drawn to. Uh, anyway, I liked that. I, I, and, I, and I wanted to replicate that. Part of the reason I'm doing 
this podcast with DJs instead of it's a mixed show podcast. Right. Uh, and we do it's like, like a little bit of interview. little interview, 15, 20 minute interview. But to me, what's most interesting is hearing artists, DJs, producers mm-hmm. um, put you on to stuff that, you know, they're listening to or that they inspired them or that they are spinning or that their friends have done. Or I, I think um, one of the things that Chicago doesn't have representation on nationally is radio. And it's been to our detriment. Like right. a lot of uh, a lot of artists here don't want to be on radio, but a lot of them do, and they're not getting played. Um, well, there's not like the infrastructure for it anymore. I mean, so I worked on local 101 at Q 101, and from 2001 until 2013, when this or 2011 when the station went off, um, and we were primarily playing, you know, rock. Like that was what was happening in Chicago. We got it right when kind of like disturb it happened and then there was the fallout boy plain white tees academy is wave and then you know went from there and that was when chicago hip-hop hadn't blown up yet and then kanye happens and like still like right. that was happening in the background but on our show we at least had a little bit of freedom to like dip in a floster damas her kid's sister or kanye or you know twist to like every once in a while even right. though it was a rock station that's cool but <laughs> there was very little of that like right. there wasn't that didn't translate to the rest of like this the station outside of 9 to 10 p.m. on Sunday nights, which in radio time is buried. Well, and, and to be clear, there were definitely people, uh, you know, at GCI or Power that, Power especially, has been very supportive, but it's not, uh, you know, nearly to the extent. It, it's getting, like, mix show play. Right. A lot of local artists will get played in the mix, but they don't get that, you know, drive time. No. Um, unless they, there's a couple exceptions you know, no problem. Yeah, I was going to say no played. problem. Like, yeah, but and chance then, now is like the power has played, you know, Keith and, and Dirk and stuff like that for five years now. Um, but for the most part, uh, and radio outside Chicago doesn't play us at all. Right. So if you're like any other part of the country and G- GCI these days is mainly playing future and Drake and it's all like imported stuff, which is ridiculous. It seems like they're finally coming around and starting to do stuff. Well, there should artists, be, like, the urban equivalent of, like, Local 101 on right. one of these stations, and they would be killing it. They would own that space. Yeah. So, yeah. And this <laughs> is us being like, why doesn't this exist? And, and that was, like, a part of me is, like, I'd rather reach out to DJs. The other thing is, like, as a critic, you think you, you write about stuff that grabs you, but that means that there's lots of stuff that's very good that doesn't grab me or that there's not, like, a story that's necessarily interesting to write about it. It's just good music how do I become a platform for that when I can't really represent it in a way that I think is, and to me, that's why you have a show with guest DJs is they can actually push what they like and sell it to you from their perspective. And a good DJ, especially a good mix show DJ is going to sell you through context. So what records they put the record between and, and putting a Drake and a future record around a local artist gives you an idea of what Chicago adds aesthetically that doesn't exist outside yeah um, the city yeah so with so many shrimp radio with with the podcasts that you're so many shrimp.com so many shrimp.com I wish we need an air horn <laughs> in on this podcast we, we had to put the internet on last week and like for like air credits and like they are king of the air horn a, a big bomb drop yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so what are the goals with that like where do you want to take that now that you are back in the podcast mix mix show like radio internet game um right now honestly like we've done it completely independently i mean i'm working with uh 
this group, my friend Tamika is part of this group, the swim team, but they're basically just helping me co-produce mm-hmm. and we're doing it independently. We're not on like a network or anything for now. I, I feel like I want to build it um, organically and see, you know, who's drawn to it. It is kind of a niche thing. I'm not trying to be like the breakfast club or I, I've never really had interest in being like a celebrity. To me, it was tr- trying to prioritize the music first was more important. And I think that, um, this was like a way to do that, to get the audience that really will connect with the material instead of, uh, you know, people right. that are there for headlines. No, uh, you want the right audience person. No, yeah. I agree. You're, you're putting the artists first and foremost in the conversation there. Right. It's, it's not a gossip. Like a lot of hip hop media is driven by gossip. Uh, sure. Radio show, like the breakfast club and stuff like that. And I was not trying to do that. And, well, I think we come from a similar time when it's like it was... See, I hate to say this because I'm going to sound like an old man where it's like, there was a lot more substance. There's a, there's a ton of substance right now, but the headlines have to be like Twitter size. You have to go a little bit more immediate. But in like the 90s, I think the conversation was a little bit... And there was still trash in the 90s, but <laughs> right. there was, I think, more patience for like in-depth kind of conversation around a lot of art and music. So. I think also you were just stuck there because there weren't a million other channels that you could go to if you got bored. No, if there were music writers, there was Greg, there was Dero and, and, and Greg Cott. I, I'm sure I knew way more about music outside of my genres of interest than like a kid might today because I was forced to listen through the sure. segments of stuff I didn't care about. The, you know. You were exposed to everything. Yeah, it, yeah. it was, I read a whole Rolling Stone, not because I was interested in uh, what the Limp Bizkit profile was about, but because like, when I was done with the Rolling Stone, there was nothing else to read. That was it. You, know, you had like, to wait another two weeks. Right. There, yeah. there was no... Oh, God. And now we just sound like we're like... And then you had to walk to school <laughs> in the snow. Right. Um, That's crazy to be like, yep, you got music news. And then you were like, well, I guess I'll find out more music news two weeks from today. And, I mean, you know, in some ways it's obviously a huge improvement. I don't, yeah. I don't mean to look at it with the rose-tinted shades. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, I, I love the... Um, it gets overwhelming, but I love the... You can never be like, I'm bored. There's nothing There's nothing to do. There's nothing to read. <laughs> right. Same invite I give everybody, man. I love this. I think you and I could have a much longer conversation, and you know, I'd love to get you on one of our panels or one of our events like that, one of the live conversations, because there's obviously a lot of great stuff you're doing. Um, and please keep us updated on, on So Many Shrimp Radio, the site, everything you're doing. If there's anything we can do for you or with you, please for say sure. the word. All right. Um, Sounds good. David Drake, man, this is this is cool. Like, I'm glad we finally got you on again. It was very much overdue. Uh, so many shrimp.com is the website. Yep. At David Drake on Twitter. At so many shrimp on Twitter. At so many shrimp on Twitter. Yep. And uh, also SoundCloud is where a lot of the episodes of So Many Shrimp Radio are currently housed. You can get them on uh, whatever your podcast app is too. There's a feed on the so many shrimp.com website. I love it, man. Uh, thank you for coming up and talking about this. And like I said. We're going to continue this conversation in the future. For sure. I dig it, man. All right. All right. Thanks. David, thank you. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcast. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the dynamic dynasty, Dynasty Descend.